Your Bibles, if you will, to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Topic that we are discussing this morning is making disciples of Christ. And as, as the pastor mentioned, uh, we uh, have strived to do that in, in our ministry thus far. Uh, over 10 years, we've served the Lord in Russia and Ukraine. And uh, in fact, the brother that you saw with me last night, Brother Dima, this is, this is one of the people who we're, we're discipling and who we're seeking to train and raise up into, into uh, preachers and teachers that are going to continue on the word. And we're excited, excited for what the Lord has done. We're looking forward to what will happen now uh, in the future. As, as Pastor mentioned, um, uh, we've moved over into a, a pastoral role in Texas now. Things are, are very different, but our focus is the same. You know, I was going to start off by reading 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. It says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou unto faithful men, which shall be able to teach others also. That's, that's our job, right? What's been committed to us, we are to find faithful men and commit that uh, to them. In fact, I feel extremely inadequate to preach on this subject, especially after the guy, this guy over here in the front row showed up. Uh, this guy knows a lot more about making disciples than I ever would. And if it wasn't for um, me, I, I realize that, uh, hope, hopefully that you'll realize that, that I'm not here preaching, you know, Daniel's take on things. Uh, if I, I'm standing behind this sacred desk, I'm standing behind the Word of God and the authority of the Word of God, and, and it's only because of that that I, that I don't step aside and let, let someone else uh, take the pulpit right now. But basically, there's going to be a, a, a three mini-sermons in one sermon. Uh, uh, we're, we're looking at making disciples of Christ. Uh, as we're looking at this topic, we're going to be answering three questions. The first question is, who is a disciple of Christ? The second question is, how how do we make disciples of Christ? Uh, who is, sorry, that's, that's the third question. How are we to make disciples of Christ? The second question is, how, uh, who is to make disciples of Christ? So who is a disciple of Christ? Who is to make disciples of Christ? And how are we to make disciples of Christ? Now I'm going to start off this sermon with, with uh, maybe a... a, a Something that may be a little, uh, uh, not, not too common, maybe a little controversial. But I believe that the Bible teaches that all true born-again believers are Christ followers or disciples of Christ. I don't believe that there's a difference between a disciple and a Christian. I don't believe that a Christian will become a disciple after some post-conversion uh, experience where they give themselves more fully to God. I believe that when someone has been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, they are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, right? They, they, they are going to live out these verses that we're going to be looking at in Luke chapter 9. This is what a disciple of Christ looks like. This is what a Christian looks like. This statement goes in the face of the common belief in Christianity today that there are two groups of Christians. There are those who are saved, just, just saved, right? They're the first, first group of Christians. And then there are those who are saved and actively seeking to serve the Lord, actively following after Christ. Those are the, those are the super Christians. Those are the elite. Those are the disciples. So there are Christians and there are disciples. Uh, the second group of Christians is an elite group of Christians who are really on fire for the Lord, faithfully serving Him. So you can be a Christian and not a disciple. Hopefully you'll become a disciple, but you don't have to be a disciple to be a Christian. And, and they, they also teach we should encourage Christians to become disciples so that 
this, these people can bring more honor and glory to the Lord and have a more blessed and more abundant life in Christ. But it's not necessary to be a Christian because not all Christians are disciples. But that's not what the Bible teaches. I believe the Bible teaches that all those who call themselves, or that those who call themselves Christians and who are just dipping their toe in Christianity, not really willing to jump in, are not really Christians at all. I don't believe that there is a group of weak, helpless Christians who cannot defeat the devil and live for the Lord until they make another commitment to the Lord to be really sold out for him as one of his disciples. I believe that the Bible teaches that, that those people are Chinos. Now, it's something I've, I've coined and I'm trying to, trying to so you've got you to gotta put a copyright on there. You know what a rhino is, right? Republican in name only. These are Chinos, Christians in name only, right? Uh, they're professing Christians, not possessing Christians. Let me repeat this statement. All true born-again believers are Christ followers and disciples of Christ. Now, the word that we see in the Bible translated as disciple 269 times is the Greek word mathetes, mathetes. As we study all of these different occurrences all throughout the Bible, we see that a disciple is a follower. A disciple is a learner. A disciple is one who follows the Lord Jesus Christ and strives to keep his commandments. Scripture repeatedly records that Christ's disciples follow him. While as is, as is, is, uh, while as is expected, not all 269 references specifically define the word disciple. Very strong exegetical evidence from many passages establish the fact that one becomes a true disciple uh, at the same moment that some become, someone becomes a believer. So that discipleship begins not at a later point in time, but discipleship begins at regeneration. And all the people of God, not some elite minority, are identified as disciples in Scripture. No verse in Scripture teaches that uh, believers become disciples at a post-conversion crisis or uh, only some of the regenerate are disciples. In layman's terms, if we look at the passages about disciples, then we will be able to see that the word disciple and the word Christian are synonymous. So uh, you don't have to look at these uh, verses. I'm going to look at a couple of them. Acts 11, 25, and 26 then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church, the church at Antioch, and taught much people. And listen to this. The disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Now notice, they were first called disciples before they were called Christians. Most people today would have it the other way around, right? The Christians were called disciples but this says the disciples, the church in Antioch, were called Christians first, right? So uh, in, in, this, in this place, people started being known not as just as disciples of Christ, but as Christians. Many people today would have it the other way around, but the Bible has it the exact opposite way. Acts 1.15, and in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of names together was about 120. This is the Jerusalem church assembled on the day of Pentecost. There's 120 of them, not 11. There's 120 of them, and all of them are known as, not Christians, but disciples. They're not known as Christians until Acts 11. They're first known as disciples of Christ. All of them, all 120 of them. The whole church of Jerusalem was known as disciples of Christ. So look at Acts chapter 6. Verses 1 and 7. 
And in those days when the numbers of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. We know that they uh, elected some deacons after that to help out with that. But here we see the number of the disciples. It's referring to the whole church of Jerusalem after the day of Pentecost. And even though there's thousands of them, they're all referenced. They're all called disciples. It's not like some elite group of the, of the, the, the group in uh, the church in Jerusalem was disciples they were all disciples verse number seven says and the word of God increased and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly right this all Christians are disciples we see here again that all the members of the church of Jerusalem were called disciples the disciples were not the navy seals or the the few and the proud the marines of Christianity they were not the special super elite Christians all Christians are called disciples acts 27 and in upon the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread this is the famous story of of Eutychus falling out of the window right and and here the church of Troas uh, as they're gathered together they're referred to as disciples all of the church they're all disciples we could spend a few more hours looking at the other 250 or some odd passages that refer to christian or to disciples and see that disciples and christians are the same thing but i hope you get the point by now so if a christian is a disciple and a disciple is a christian then if you are a disciple of christ actively seeking to follow the lord and to do what he wants you to do then you are a christian but conversely if you are not a disciple of christ actively seeking to follow the Lord, you are not a Christian. That's what needs to be heralded today in many churches. There are many, many, many people who call themselves Christians who are not disciples. And the Bible teaches if you're not a disciple, you're not a Christian. Look at, look at our, our text, Luke 9, 23, uh, 23 through 26. It says, And he said unto them all, this is Jesus, If any man will come after me, if, any, if you want to be a disciple of me, this is what Jesus says. If you want to be a disciple of Christ, here's what you must do. There are three things. Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, I want you to understand in most churches today, they are teaching Christians this is something you need to do after salvation. But this is actually what happens at salvation. You're denying yourself, you're taking up your cross, and you're following after him. And the proof that you've repented unto salvation is that you're continuing to live a life of repentance. And the proof that you've believed in God for salvation is you're continuing to believe. And the proof that you've denied yourself is you're continuing to deny yourself. And you're continuing to take up your cross because it says daily and follow me. This is a continuous action that starts at a certain point in time and continues until a believer dies. All Christians are disciples. If you will be a disciple of Christ, you must deny yourself. This is a whole, we could spend a whole, in fact, uh, recently I preached five sermons on this, this one text from 23 to, to 26. It's, it's, it's a wonderful text uh, full of wonderful truths. We don't have the time to do it. But if you will be a disciple of Christ, you must live a life of self-denial. You are not here for yourself. You are not here for your glory. You were created for one purpose alone to glorify God, and to enjoy Him forever. You were created for the glory of God. Go glorify God with your life by denying yourself, 
by taking up your cross, and, and the, the way crosses are today, crosses are something romantic, something neat in, in, our, in our new modern uh, world. But back in those times, it's like, you know, taking a guillotine or, 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 or you know, an axe or, or something like that. It, it doesn't make any sense. Why would you glory in, in a death instrument, right? You're taking the shame of being a Christian on yourself. You're, you're realizing that, that you found the pearl of great price, and you're willing to give up anything and everything just to have this. And if you have this, then you have everything, right? And follow after him. Now, I, we don't have time to, to, give, to look at these verses in, in adequate detail, but, so let's go on. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. This is how we know that this is a salvation thing. Now, not, we're not teaching work salvation, that if you don't do these things, then you're not saved. What we're teaching is a, is a productive salvation, is an effective, an effectual salvation. Uh, we, don't, we shouldn't believe in this weak salvation where someone prays a prayer, and then they can't get their, themselves out of bed on Sunday morning to go to church, and they can't kick their, their worldly habits. And That's not Christianity. That's not salvation. Salvation is a new, is a transformation. Old things are passed away. All things. Are become new. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. The way to find life is by losing it for Christ and being his disciple. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? What are you going to gain? You have everything to lose if you don't lose everything for Christ. Think about that. You'll lose everything in the end. If you don't lose all and follow Christ, forsake all and follow Christ. For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. Now we know who a disciple is. A disciple is a true, born-again, Christ-following, cross-carrying, self-denying Christian. This is authentic Christianity. An active disciple is a Christian. All others are counterfeits. In fact, uh, Webster's 1828 Dictionary defines disciple as a follower, an adherent to the doctrines of another. Hence, the constant attendance of Christ were, were called his disciples. And hence, all Christians are called his disciples as they profess to learn and receive his doctrines and precepts. That's a dictionary, a secular dictionary answer. He understands all Christians are disciples. So, We've already answered the first question. Let's answer the second question. Who is to make disciples of Christ? Turn with me to Matthew 28. It was referenced in the sermon last night, but we're, we're going to go back here. We're going to look at these verses again. Matthew 28, verse 16. It says, Then the eleven disciples, you could argue with me, but I see the church of Jerusalem right here assembled. I don't believe Jesus gave his commission to people to disciples, I believe he gave them to his church. The 11 disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed uh, them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And then verse number 18, And Jesus came and spake unto them, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. In fact, that word power um, is the word exousia, which... which uh, we, we understand in our, our language today is, is more, more understandable as authority. Jesus isn't talking about the power, the enablement. He's talking about the authority to, to go do something. He said, I have all authority, and he's giving his church that authority here in these verses. This is a reference to the keys of the kingdom. 
uh, that, that he talks about in Matthew 16 and Matthew 18, the authority to bind and loose. As a church of Christ faithfully preaches the gospel, people will be saved. And then the church is commanded to bind those people to the church, right? To those, those truly regenerate people to the visible kingdom of God by their baptism. But not all who baptize are, are truly born again. Remember the parable of the sower? That there are two types of ground. There's the stony ground and the thorny ground. These are not people who had salvation and lost their salvation. These are people who were never saved in the first place. Some people say that there are four types of ground in that, in that parable. I believe there are actually six types of ground. In that parable, you see the first type of ground, there's a wayside ground, someone who's not going to receive the word for any reason. Then you see the stony ground, someone receives it immediately with joy, but there's no root. Something difficult comes uh, into their life because of Christ, and then they fall away. This is not someone who was saved and lost their salvation. This is someone who was never saved in the first place. And then you see the thorny ground, this is someone who Christ wasn't all to him. The most important thing to him were the, the deceitfulness of riches and the worldly pursuits that were around him. Christ wasn't all to him. Christ wasn't that pearl of, of great price to him. And so he was a nominal Christian that would go to church and then eventually fell away. These are not true Christians. This is not true Christianity. And then you see there are three types of good ground, right? There's some good ground that brings forth fruit in 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. So we see three types of un salvific reactions to the gospel and three salvific reactions to the gospel all of the salvific reactions to the gospel are different in their fruit bearing but they're all showing forth great fruit they're all bringing forth fruit in a great abundance right uh, so these the stony the thorny ground these are false professors these are not people who lost their salvation but those who outwardly conformed to christianity but were never born from above these people need to be loosed from the kingdom they need to be loosed from the church they were never born from above. Uh, their membership in the visible kingdom of God must be severed so that they and the world around them can truly see who they are, that they're unregenerate, without hope, and without God in the world. Now, Jesus is giving this authority, all power unto, is given unto me, and now in verse number 19, he's saying, go. But when he says go, he's saying, go in that authority. With the authority that I have, you are to go. Go out into the world, and as you're going, you are to do something. You are to teach all nations. Now, usually when we see the word teach in the Bible, it's, it's the word didasko in, in the Greek. But here, the word teach is not the word didasko, but methusate. The word methusate, we already, we already looked at uh, methetes' disciple. Methusate means make disciples. So he's not saying, relay, teach them, transfer this information that I've given you, but make them disciples of me, right? This is the command by God. If you could translate that phrase literally, it would be discipleize all nations. Make of all nations disciples unto me, right? That's, a, that's an imperative. It's a command. Now, in verses 19 and 20, we see four verbs that we need to focus on. Uh, go, teach, or make disciples, baptizing, and teaching. Now, we could get into some, some uh, interesting uh, linguistics here, uh, uh, some interesting technical details. I'm not going to get into that right now. But if you look at it, you see that uh, make disciples or teach in verse number 19 is the only imperative in the whole Great Commission. Everything else is a passive participle. 
And so everything centers around the central command to go and to teach or go and to make disciples. Everything else, go, teaching, uh, baptizing and teaching, are a description of how we are to do that very thing. According to Jesus, we are to go to the nations, to all the unsaved peoples around us, and to evangelize them. Right? Uh, Mark 16, 15 says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So making disciples starts with what? Evangelism. Starts with us going out into the world and preaching the gospel with the authority of God. Now, uh, let me give you a little illustration here. I've got five kids. My oldest uh, is almost 13. It's a, she's a girl. And then we have four boys. And she loves to boss around her brothers. And we constantly tell her, you don't have the authority to tell your brothers what to do. Has anyone else had to have this problem? Okay, all right. You don't have that authority. But there are some times where I tell my daughter, hey, you tell your brother that he needs to do this. I'm busy or I'm not going to go find him or whatever. And so she goes, but she goes not in her authority. She goes in my authority. And there are a few times where she just said, you need to go take out the trash or you need to do this. And, she, and her brother's like, I'm not going to do that, right? Uh, and, then, and then she comes back. They don't want to do it. And I said, did you tell them I said? I said to do it? And, they said, and she says, no, right? So she goes back and she says, dad said. So they, she, they realize that comes with the authority of Christ, right? So when we're going out in the world, it's not I say you're going to hell and that you must repent and that you must turn to Christ and you must believe. It's, it's God says, Right? I'm not going with my authority. I'm going with his authority. He has commissioned me. He has commanded me to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to every creature. It's he who is the searcher of your heart. It's he that tells me that you're a sinner in need of salvation. Right? It's not me and my authority. It's him and his authority. As we go, we're not going in our authority. We're going in his authority authority those then those who respond to the gospel message what are we supposed to do we're supposed to baptize them in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit now who has the authority to baptize churches this is a church commission it's not given to individual christians he's giving this to churches and he says you as my churches you are to go out and you are to evangelize and those who profess faith you are to baptize them you are to incorporate incorporate them into the visible manifestation of the kingdom of god his local churches you are to make them members active faithful members of local churches This is a church commission. This is a church ordinance. We are not to separate ourselves outside of the church, the pillar and ground of the truth. You you can have your parachurch ministries. We don't need them. We need church-grounded, church-focused, church-based ministries. So embedded in the commission is the assumption that this gospel work is done in and through the local church. Those who receive the word should become active members of their local church through baptize, uh, through baptizing. And remember, the church has the keys to the kingdom. It has the authority of Jesus Christ. We're going out as his churches, carrying his authority to the sin-darkened world, binding those who are making credible professions of faith and loosening those who evidence false faith. So we are making disciples by going out, evangelizing, baptizing those who profess faith, and then teaching them to observe most of what God has commanded. Uh, oh, wait, uh, I'm sorry. All 
that God has commanded us. Now, a lot of churches have Bible studies that teach new believers uh, or, you know, newer prospective members uh, core teachings of their church, right? It's a six-week Bible course or something like that. But that's not what this is talking about. This teaching them to observe all things is the work of a lifetime. Now, how are churches to teach their members all that Christ has commanded? Through the regular, consistent exposition and application of the word of God to all areas of life. All of Christ for all of life. The word of God is the product of divine inspiration. It is not the work of a man. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21 says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture of, is, uh, is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scripture is the anustas. It's God-breathed. It's given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now, it's interesting. In, in Ukraine, we dealt with a lot of uh, Pentecostals, uh, charismatics, things like that. I had one guy that was going to our, our Kiev work, and he would constantly debate with me about how we needed the baptism of the Holy Ghost and how we needed to... to uh, uh, he, would, he was telling me at this one particular time that we needed to hear the voice of God. I needed to start teaching people how to hear the voice of God and how to be directed by God and by that internal voice and everything. And I took him to 2 Timothy 3.16. At first, I asked him the question, what do I need in order to do what Christ has commanded me to do, live the Christian life that God has commanded me to do. He said, well, you got to be saved. you got to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. you got to speak in tongues. you got to, you know, sense the inner working of God, hear the still small voice in your heart and everything. And I took him to this verse, and he read it, and I said, now what does the Bible say that you need to do any good thing that God commands you to do? Well, verse 16 says, the Scripture. The God-breathed Scriptures are the only thing that we need to be completely furnished, to be completely equipped to do anything that God will call us to do. This means that, that uh, the means by which God perfects, completes, matures Christians so that they will be ready to do any good work is the God-breathed Scripture. So we see that the Great Commission given to the church is to make disciples. Churches are commissioned by God to make disciples by, number one, going into the world with the gospel. Number two, binding those who profess faith in Christ by baptizing them into the membership of the local assembly. And number three, teaching them all of the word in the context of a local church. Churches are to make disciples. They are commanded and empowered by God to do that very thing. So the answer to the question Uh, Who is to make disciples? We see that churches are. Now, churches are made up of individuals, right? Individuals working together corporately to teach one another the word of God. At the end of the Great Commission, God states that he will be with us as we go about and we do this very thing. We don't just have his authority, but we have his presence, right, as we do it, right? So let's answer that last question. How? How are we to make disciples of Christ? I meant to bring a book to show it to you. But uh, there's a ministry called Nine Marks 
and a man uh, named Mark Dever that puts out a lot of really good resources on what healthy churches are. And the sixth mark of a healthy church is a discipling church. And uh, I reread that book in preparation for this, this sermon. And, and if you want to dig into this topic, I recommend you start there. Uh, there's a book by Mark Dever called Discipling, How to Make Disciples of Christ or something like that. Uh, if you need help finding it, you can talk to your pastor. I'm sure he will be able to help you find that. But let's answer in, in, in the end, how are we to make disciples of Christ? We've already talked about how discipleship should be done within the context of the church. The local church is itself the basic discipler of Christians. It does it through the weekly gatherings, uh, accountability structures, as well as pastors and members. Look with me at me at Hebrews chapter 10 real quick. Hebrews chapter 10. I want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, but we are not going to have the time to do that. Uh, for, uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Hebrews 10, 24 says, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Notice in verse number 24 that we are commanded to consider one another, to, to think about them, to think about their spiritual state and how we can help them grow in Christ. Let me ask you this question, church member. How often do you go to church looking for someone to serve, considering others around you? That's exactly the attitude that we should have. We should be actively looking for opportunities to build up our brothers and sisters in our church. So many people come into the gathering of the church with a consumer mentality, right? Serve me, do what I want, right? Something in the church that happens that they, you know, uh, what they don't like, the music or the preaching or anything like that, you know, it's, I don't, I'm not, I don't like it, I'm leaving, I'm going somewhere else, right? We come in with a consumer mentality, but that is the opposite of the gospel and the mission of each member of the church. Notice we're not just to consider others, but the reason for considering them, thinking about them, is in order to provoke them to love and to good works. There's a method to our madness, there is a reason why we're thinking about other people, and the reason is to provoke them, to instigate in them, to be the catalyst that drives them to love God and God's people more and to work out their salvation by doing the good works that glorify God. When was the last time you came to church with that mindset? My job is to help my brothers and my sisters glorify God more in their lives. Lord, help me as I come to church. Help me see those that need my help, my encouragement, my prayer. Maybe, maybe need special time outside of church, getting to know them, doing Bible studies together, fellowshipping together, right? Our regularly assembling together as a church aids in our discipling one another. In our assemblies, the word of God is sung as we, we edify one another corporately as we sing God's word one to another. In our assemblies, the word of God is preached and taught. Preaching is the reading, expounding, and application of the word of God. When the church baptizes a new member, we're reminded of the gospel and as we partake together in the Lord's Supper together, we are proclaiming the Lord's death till he comes. The assembly of the local church is ground zero for discipleship. Now, our churches will never be perfect. 
But if heaven is what John Edwards called a world of love, then a local church should be a preview of that world. Then verse 25 tells us that we are to exhort. We are to encourage one another. We are commanded to encourage one another. In the assembly, members should seek to encourage and to provoke one another to love and to good works. It's all proof that we love God and that we are loved of God. Part of growing in maturity is helping others grow into maturity. God wants you to be in churches not merely so that your needs are met, but so that you will be equipped and encouraged to take care of others. 1 John 4, 20 and 21. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. How many times have you heard, I can't go to church. There's a bunch of hypocrites there in church. Say you love God, show me your love. By your love for your brothers and sisters. If you, see, you can't love an invisible God if you don't love the visible people who are God's, God's children, right? It says, uh, for he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this is a commandment we have from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. This verse makes it crystal clear that if you are a Christian, you will love your church. Your love to God is made visible through your humble, active, sacrificial love to your brothers and sisters in your church. If you can't love your church, then don't fool yourself. You're not a Christian. That's what 1 John 4 says. Now, we don't have the time, as I mentioned, to look at 1 Corinthians 12, where, where it's talked, it talks about in 1 Corinthians 12, we could preach many sermons on that, a local church is a body of Christ. Right, this is Lee Creek Baptist Church is a body of Christ. Walnut Springs in, in, in Texas, we are a body of Christ, right? We are members in particular, and God has given every one of us members spiritual gifts, and we are to look one after another. The eye can't say, I don't need the hand. The hand can't say, I don't need the foot. We all need one another. Our job as we assemble is to mutually build up one another and whenever someone is struggling in the church we're all struggling with them whenever someone's rejoicing in the church we're all rejoicing with them this is a picture of a healthy church is a church that loves one another and seeks to to edify to build up to disciple one another none of us is completely sanctified but we are all to be used as instruments of sanctification in one another's life it's not just your pastor's job you are a member of the body of Christ. If you're here, you're a member of a local church. You're a member of the body of Christ, and you are to, to work, to edify, to build up, to help your other members. Each church should strive to create a culture of discipleship where each member is conscious of the needs and the spiritual development, development of others in the church and actively striving to meet those needs. In the life of a church... Spiritual growth and health should be the norm. It should be normal to see people growing and maturing spiritually. It should be normal to see members reaching out one to another and fellowshipping with one another outside of church, right? Helping each other grow in Christ and in their sanctification. It's within the context of all these relationships with members and pastors alike, all covenanted together, that we find the richest soil for discipling relationships to naturally grow. Our doctrine and life attain their shape within the doctrine and life of the community. This is a culture 
of discipling. And this is what every church should strive to cultivate in their assembly. As it says in 1 Corinthians 12, each has been given a gift for the common good, and each should use whatever gift he or she has uh, has been given to build up the body. Your church needs you. Every member needs every member. Stop looking at yourself and start looking at those around you. Manifest your love to God by showing your love to the visible members of the visible church that God has put you in. Start practicing hospitality regularly. Invite members over to your house. Initiate scriptural discussions. Seek to minister to them. Seek to help them and build them up in the faith. Seek to encourage them. Pray with them. Seek to point them to Christ. Strive to live out what it means to be a faithful disciple of Christ in front of them. So in conclusion, we've answered our three questions. Who is a disciple of Christ? A born-again believer actively striving to, to, to live the way Christ. They're following Christ. They've denied themselves. They've taken up their cross. That's what a Christian looks like. That's what a disciple looks like. We, uh, the, so no exclusions, no exceptions. Everything else is a counterfeit. Number two, who is to make disciples of Christ? The church is to make disciples of Christ. It's the church's responsibility to make disciples. It is her great commission. This is not just your pastor's job. We all are to be involved in this. This is a corporate engagement. We are to go evangelize. We are to baptize those converts into our membership. And we are to teach them the word of God. That's what we're commanded to do. And number three, how are we to make disciples of Christ? The local church as I've already mentioned, is ground zero for discipleship. It is here in the gathering of the elect where the word of God is regularly prayed, sung, shown, preached, and applied. And it is also our own personal responsibility. Uh, uh, It's also in our own personal accountability relationships. Members are to actively seek the good of other members because they need each other. Individual members are to be on the lookout for ways to build up one another as God is sanctifying each and every one of us for his glory. Now, go make disciples. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need your help. We need your help, Lord, and we're thankful that we're promised your help. Lord, I pray for anyone here that is not a disciple, Lord, that they would realize that they're playing a game. Lord, I pray that they would repent and trust you for for their salvation, be born again. The old things would be passed away. All things would become new. Lord, I pray for uh, this church and other churches that are represented here, that they would realize that it's the church's responsibility to disciple. Discipleship starts with evangelism, incorporating members uh, into the membership, and then teaching them to observe all things. Lord, and that's all of our responsibility. Lord, help us to catch fire, to see our responsibility, and to actively be involved in discipling those around us. Lord, help us all to think of maybe just one person this week that we can reach out to and start to disciple for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.